Welcome to A Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. We are so pleased to welcome you bookends back to our debut Spotlight series. In this series, we shine a light on the freshest new authors and their work. Today, we will be diving into a sexy and sassy debut, Shooters, a racy rom-com that will make you see photography in a very different light. Julia Borgio is a writer, photographer and podcaster. Her first dance sparked a worldwide trend when it was uploaded to YouTube in 2007 and the rendition of the iconic dirty dancing routine landed Julia and her husband on the Oprah Winfrey show where she famously danced with Patrick Swayze. Julia worked as a professional photographer for 15 years and wrote a regular column for Photo Pro magazine. Julia is the co-host of literary podcast Two Lit Chicks where she has interviewed the likes of Bonnie Garmus, Kit Duvall and Georgia Pritchett. Her debut book, Shooters, was published this month, and we are thrilled to have Julia with us today. So, Julia, welcome to A Pair of Bookends. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you. So, we always like to kick off with our favourite question, which is, what are you currently reading? Well, I'm actually listening to a book right now called The Shell Seekers by Rosamund Pilcher. I'm listening to it because one of the guests on our podcast had chosen it, and we always listen or read the books that they choose. But it's a really interesting book. You guys might be a young for it. And it came out in the late 80s and I remember, you know, it was the book that everybody had. I remember my stepmother reading it and I think that's probably how I read it the first time around. But it's, you know, if you're looking for a book that's really atmospheric, you know, where sense of place is really important, where the characters are really neatly drawn, you know, then this is a really good book to pick up. Amazing. Are you into your audiobooks? I didn't used to be. Because of the podcast, because I had to, you know, I, I had to start reading so many books that I am not a fast reader. Um, I started having to do one on audio, you know, one regular book and then one on Kindle. So I've, before that, I had actually liked listening to non-fiction books, but, uh, you know, ones that were narrated by the author themselves, you know, like Michelle Obama and that kind of thing. But I'm actually really enjoying audio fiction books now. And uh, yeah, it's a bit, come of a bit of a surprise to me. Like I like Armistead Maupin's Tales of the City. That was really well narrated. So yeah, there's loads, loads of really good, well-narrated books out there. Amazing. I am always kind of worried about trying audiobooks. I mean, I love podcasts and I listen to podcasts every single day. But for some reason, just doing the sort of audio medium of a book, it just feels like such a strange thing for me to try. I'm just like really scared. You can you can actually take them out from the library. So libraries have collections of audiobooks that you can borrow as well. So, you know, there's a no no reason to commit. Yeah, you can just try it, <laughs> yeah. try it out, see where it takes you. Yeah, I think you've given me the push. I need so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still firmly on the other side of the fence. It's just I cannot listen to an audiobook to save my life. And it's, I get like three lines in and I'm like, oh what methods are pretty? And then just <laughs> 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 no attention span whatsoever. Now Julia, um, you have described writing as your first love and you've obviously had such a varied career as we've spoken about in your intro. Could you tell us what the journey has been like into having shooters published well you know i always wanted to be a writer you know ever since 
I was a little girl. And I think I needed to get some experience under my belt. Yeah, and I needed to wait for the right story. And I, when I'm asked this question, it always makes me think of Neil Gaiman, who wrote an amazing book called The Graveyard Book. Have you read that? Okay. I haven't, no. <laughs> so, oh, it's it's a great book. Like, when I want to scare myself, I think about the first scene in that book. That is, it's chilling. You know, it is a really good book. Well written. But he actually had the idea for that book 23 years before he wrote it. And the reason he didn't write it at the time was because he felt that he wasn't a good enough writer to do it justice yet. So he got some experience under his belt, you know, and then just waited until the right time. And then when he wrote it, it ended up, ended up winning loads of different awards. I mean, I mean, the Hugo Award, all kinds of things. So I feel the same way. I feel like I needed to wait until I had my story and, and I was a good enough writer to, to tell the story. Amazing. And you have self-published this book. Is that yeah. right? How does it work in terms of self-publishing? Because I listened to an interview earlier that you did on the, is it the Right and Wrong podcast? Yeah. And you were talking about submitting your novel and all the kind of comments that you had back. Mm. And I could not get over one of the comments that was made to you, which was that this uh, publisher wouldn't take your book because they wanted young romance novelists because they were going viral on TikTok. Could you tell us about that, about that experience? I, I, yeah. Honestly, I, I, I was gobsmacked. Well, to be honest, that was my first experience of proper ageism. Yeah. And I mean, I'm 48 years old, so I'm not I'm not over the hill. There's still a bit of light. Not all now. <laughs> yeah. And I was shocked by that because, you know, especially because TikTok isn't everything when it comes to marketing books. I mean, there are a million other ways to market a book, which I believe I've proven with my debut, which was last Tuesday. I mean, I can talk about my marketing campaign a little bit if you want me to. Yes. But, but yeah, I think it was, it was a bit shocking for me. But, it, you know, that comment, I think, was the impetus I needed to push me in to self-publishing because I was just like, you know what? I don't need this. I've got a degree in marketing. I ran my own business for 15 years. You know, I was in advertising. If anyone can market their own book. It's me. It's me, you know? So I did. And I mean, I don't know if you saw my Instagram, what, what I was doing around this last week, but you know, because I used to be a photographer, I reached out to all of my photography friends around the world and I asked them to photograph themselves reading my book. And and I was hoping that what they were going to come back with wouldn't just be like iPhone snaps. And they did not disappoint. I mean, you won't know their names, but people like Jerry Guionis, Kelly Brown, you know, David Anthony Williams, they're amazing social photographers. And they came back with these amazing images. Like I got tens of thousands of pounds worth of commercial imagery for nothing. You know, I, I sat down, I looked at what, what my resources were. I had zero budget, but I had a whole lot of friends and you had, had to take great photos. So I used that. And, you know, it, it was huge on launch day. It got me up to number 16 on the uh, romantic comedy list on Amazon in Kindle, uh, which was fantastic. And then in the United States, I managed to get to number one bestseller in uh, satire because <laughs> it is a satirical book. <laughs> so, you know, it, it achieved its um, goal. But um, yeah, it was it was quite exciting and Book Brunch covered it and whatnot. Yeah, it was a good launch. <laughs> That's incredible. It's and so incredible. I think those publishers will be kicking themselves <laughs> you know what you know what it's fine I'm kind of happy that I've gone the self-publishing route because if I hadn't my book would still be sitting on some editor's desk because yes. the, the, it's such a long lead up because they've got to create their marketing campaigns and whatnot whereas you know as a self-published author I can I can enact things right away yeah I have an idea I can put it into action tomorrow so you know and I was able to obviously get my book out a lot faster than it would have been going through the traditional route so yeah I think 
I think things worked out the right way for me. Absolutely. But having to run your own marketing campaign alongside all the rest of putting together a book, how much time did you <laughs> have spent? <laughs> Were there enough well, hours in a day? Are they human? <laughs> no, there aren't enough hours in a day. And I get up at 5 a.m. to write. So that's how I... Wow. So, and, yeah. and you're a mother as well. So like... I'm a mother. <laughs> two kids. Yeah, 11 and 6. Yeah, so... Uh, and my husband's off traveling right now. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you don't do things by halves, do you? <laughs> but you know, you just you just do it. You just get on with things. That's just yeah. how life is. So absolutely. And you were talking then about your background in photography and your friends as photographers. And you can really tell in this book your kind of knowledge of the background of these characters because both of our protagonists are photographers in their own right. The way that you talk about kind of cameras and composition and the visual side of the narrative, it's so captivating. You capture it really well. And obviously we know that you have your own photography background. So how did your experience kind of inform the way that you wrote your novel? So I actually had the idea of writing romance novels about photographers. And then I went to a conference, one of the photography conference, actually the photography conference where the book starts. And I was having coffee with a friend and I told her that I was thinking of doing this. And she says, oh, you want to be the Jilly Cooper of photography. And it was amazing. Like in that second, the idea, the names of the, not the names, but the characters, the plot, everything just jumped into my head and I was off from there so that was it <laughs> and you've you've done wedding photography yourself haven't you yes yeah so I was a wedding photographer for many years but I stopped around the time when my daughter was born around 2012 but then I just went into portraiture and it's a rich a rich vein of <laughs> of experience yeah I, mean, I remember I was sitting at a wedding once I was at the wedding breakfast they invited me to eat with the guests and the woman next to me says you have the best job in the world you only have to work one day a week and I'm like what do, do you think that the images like magically jump off the camera into an album I like I wrote this book for people like her you know I mean guides for brides said that every bride should read this book because I worked really hard I worked hard not to not to hit people over the head with the educational side of what it's like to be a wedding photographer but I still wanted to let them know that it's a hard job I think it comes across <laughs> absolutely yeah like I and I had no idea how much went in, into it so I was very much one of those quite naive people that was just like you just take photos and the work and just there's a moment in the novel where Stella gets asked to redo something and it's not just a case of like oh just change that it's like hang on this is hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of work yeah. oh, that gave so me actual anxiety I was like there and convince him that it's no it's okay we can keep it the way it is and it's like please say yes I know I know and I mean I'd love to tell you that that hasn't happened to somebody out there you know I mean I've had clients be like oh you know I really hate my knees in that picture I hate my ankles I'm like how do you hate your ankles how do you hate your ankles <laughs> and I, I heard on the that podcast I mentioned earlier you said that the shirt that's happened to you oh um, my god yeah 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 so so it was actually at that same venue um I I photographed a wedding where the bride was like I'm the only one that's allowed to wear white like nobody else is allowed to even wear a touch of white and yeah I mean she put it in the invitation and that was the that was the instruction thankfully I wasn't wearing white oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. so that was that was okay <laughs> but I thought that I just thought to myself what in yeah so <laughs> now this the sweaty red shirt that she has to wear in the book I was I just <laughs> felt her pain yeah you can just 
You can just smell it, can't you? Well, it's just like <laughs> she's gonna have to suffer that all day, and it's not just a couple of hours that she has to work. It's like a full on yeah day. I really felt like pain. Yeah, but horrible. you know, when you're when you're doing a job, when you're a photographer, you just get on with it, you know. And all kinds like I have injured myself on shoots, and all kinds of and been sick, yeah, all kinds of. Oh, once just after I had my first child, I was shooting a wedding, and I had to pump milk while I was there. <laughs> Yeah. So I was like hiding away from all the guests in this room and somebody came around like, oh my God, go back. <laughs> you just get on with the job. And how many awful wedding planners have you had to deal with? <laughs> you know what? Thankfully, those were very few. I worked with some amazing wedding planners. So yeah, I got I was very lucky in that in that respect. <laughs> I was yeah. I was ready to fight the one that Stella has to deal with. I was ready to fight him. I thought one more bad word out of him, like oh, he might be he might be coming back. Back as well. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> hideous, hideous. But so there are there are obviously some parallels between your own life and Stella in shooters. So how much do you see actually see of yourself in her? And did you ever have any kind of worries about obviously they say to write what you know, but did you ever have any worries about doing that and sort of mixing truth with fiction? No, I mean as the writer, I, I've got a good handle on what actually happened and what didn't. <laughs> But, you know, there is a lot of, they say your first book is very autobiographical. And, you know, it's almost like you just need to get it out. You need to get it out of you. And there it is. But there's a little bit of me in every single character in this book. With Stella, it's just details, you know. So, yeah, she starts out as a medical copywriter. And then she goes into wedding photography. And that was me. But she's got red hair. So it's definitely not me. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, in fact, uh, Joanna Lumley did actually host the Pharma Awards. So, yeah, yeah so that I, that was just like a little factoid that I, that I decided to put in there. So I, I love that. <laughs> and she was wearing white and I was worried about getting makeup on her because I did win an award. But thankfully it was not what happened to Stella did not happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that scene. Ooh, well, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and uh, speaking of celebrity appearances, uh, uh, without spoilers, there is a magnificent scene involving <laughs> Dolly Parton towards the end of the novel that I won't give any more away, but it's just brilliant. Dolly features quite heavily throughout the novel. Her songs are referenced and Stella is a fan. What was it about Dolly? Why, why Dolly? Tell me. <laughs> well, you know what? It's funny. Like when I started writing this book, I had just listened to the podcast Dolly Parton. America, which is an amazing podcast. If you haven't heard about this, it's really good. It's very interesting. Very interesting. And I think I just had Dolly on the brain. You know, I had been to Dollywood as well a few years before that. And I just went again. When was it? October. Yeah. So, or September, September. And it is like, I love Dollywood. Dollywood. <laughs> What's it like? It's just fun, you know. It's um, it's all very wholesome and saccharine, but in a in the best way. You know, the surrounding area of Pigeon Forge is crazy. It's like Las Vegas on a road. You know, you can go to a dinner party in a in the old like a full reconstruction of the Titanic. You know, weird, weird stuff. But yeah, it's just fun, and they have the best cinnamon bread in the world. Like you, if you go to Dolly Dollywood, you have to have the cinnamon bread. That's 
I'd say I just came for the cinnamon bread. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, I would go just for the cinnamon bread now that you you've picked it up <laughs> like that. I would. I'm such a foodie. Yeah, it's good. I'll be there for the jolly content, and Hannah will just be rest. I love she features in your acknowledgements as well. Acknowledgements are like my favorite thing to get to in a book. So I really loved that you gave a nod to her as well. No, oh, she's the best. She's the biggest brand in the world, you know. Yeah. yeah. And do you have a favorite song? Well, I do like Jolene. What a Yeah. Actually, you know what? You know, she did an album called Trio, where I can't remember the other two singers, but there's some amazing songs. Like when I need a relax, listen to Trio. That is such a such a great album. So highly recommend that one. And Dolly's on there. <laughs> I'll be having a listen to that. Now, moving on to a slightly darker topic that you explore in the book. So obviously a lot of Stella's experiences are often shaped by and sometimes tainted by her experiences with anxiety and panic attacks and I guess her sort of PTSD as a result of a previous relationship. Why was this exploration of mental health so important to you? Well, we don't talk about it enough, do we? You know, I think that it's really important to try to have representation in, in books and maybe people have this idea of romantic comedies that they're all, you know, sweet and whatever. But actually, when you look into a lot of romantic comedies these days, I mean, there are some pretty serious themes. You know, in my next book, I'm exploring uh, infertility. So, I mean, I, these are things that, that do come up in romantic fiction and they need to be talked about. And I think that when you talk about things like this, I think that it gives people more empathy. There's in a way that you can't get it from, from just hearing it on the news or whatnot. When you experience it through the eyes of a character, it gives you a much better feeling for what it might feel like to do that. So, so I mean, I myself, I, I had never, when I wrote that, I had never had a panic attack. So I spoke to a lot of my friends, you know, my friends are used to my, my strange call outs on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> there was a scene I cut out that involved a llama. I'm like, does anyone know anyone with a llama? <laughs> The yes was the answer. But yeah, I just spoke to people uh, about their experiences. And I actually experienced my first panic attack only probably a few months ago, probably related to premenopause and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Fun stuff, girls. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I've dealt with anxiety for a good few years now. And, you know, I, I take medication for it. So it's quite under control. But prior to that, you know, having panic attacks and having experiencing anxiety is, is so overwhelming. And it's really hard to sort of describe to people thought you did a really great exploration of it in the book so I mean it's great that you've obviously spoken to people that have dealt with it themselves but yeah I just thought it was really well explored in the book so thank no, you for that <laughs> you're welcome and thank you for saying that that means a lot that really means a lot no it, it was it was really great and I think a lot of people pass off romantic fiction as sort of just like as like floor for it gets like a really bad rap and I think it's so great that you know you saying that and for people to hear you saying that that it's important to have bigger themes in there and a lot of romantic fiction actually do explore these bigger themes but because people kind of you know they're not, not willing really to explore it yeah. yeah whereas it actually you know and I think Lydia might have had her mind changed on romantic fiction with this book <laughs> let me tell you and I completely will admit this that I went in thinking this is not going to be for me it just 100% is not going to be for me and by I'd say by like the fourth page I was like this is brilliant this is <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what happened. And, and I do think that part of that was the complexity of the characters because for me I've not, I've not read a lot of romantic fiction but what people said to 
to me was that oh it's just bluff or oh it's just you know they're, they're just stock characters but these characters particularly Stella for me she was so complex and she comes from a kind of state of like we were saying anxiety and self-doubt and worry and a lot of that informs the way that she reacts in her decisions and it was just so great to, to have a protagonist who felt so real and so natural in such a brilliant story it you know this is what romantic fiction does so well and it completely changed my mind on picking up another one I would definitely now go out and pick up another one and I think that if anyone listening felt feels the same way that I did which is like oh I'm not sure it's for me just give this one a go because it is it will change your mind I guarantee it well you know that's like the nicest thing anyone said to me today I'm that. <laughs> maybe this all week <laughs> you know it's funny because I, I so after I launched my book I went and did that photography conference so that's where I launched it and the thing that I loved was that there were a range of ages and both sexes buying the book and you know at one point this middle-aged man runs up to the stand and he's waving his kindle in the air and he's like I'm halfway through and I absolutely love it and I'm just like yeah great you know because I have always said from the beginning that this was a book I, I felt like it could be enjoyed by you know a wider audience but of course when you're marketing you've got a target but it's yeah it's good to hear you say that absolutely absolutely what what was it like for you as a writer to come up with when you were developing and creating these characters were you conscious of how kind of nuanced and complex you wanted to make them I don't know if I did you know I think the first sort of inkling that I had that there was a lot in there was when my agent said to me there's a lot in here (laughs) 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 I was there you know to me I mean and, and it's been great like in some of the reviews I know I shouldn't read them but I have and people are saying things like Stella feels like a real person to me yeah. and I'm like yeah that's what I was going for because you know to me she is a real person <laughs> so uh yeah and, and she's had a full life and she's made her mistakes she's not perfect in any way shape or form and she's not she's not defined by any one character I mean I I don't like books I think I was conscious that I didn't want her to be defined by one thing and I think you can find that in some romantic fiction you know you have you know a character who likes to fix things and that's her entire personality and it's like mm, no you know yeah. th- there's more to a person than that I loved how you made especially initially felt quite morally ambiguous this kind of like she comes from having and this isn't a massive spoiler but she comes from having had an affair with a married man and that kind of set me off her a little bit because I thought oh okay you know she's coming from a completely different perspective than I thought she was you know what was it how conscious was your choice to be like she's gonna start from this place I wanted her to be flawed you know because people are flawed you know and life isn't black and white and I didn't want her to feel too perfect you know Mm -hmm. Uh, we all have our things that we've done in our past that we're not proud of I hope she is not reenacting my life don't worry (laughs) (laughs) but I, I wanted to make her real you know and I know a couple of people have had a problem with that I mean my god again <laughs> it was one review and she's like you are a cheater and she's like talking about Stella and she had capital letters and I'm like whoa okay I have I should have put a trigger warning I mean I'm wondering if I should have put a trigger warning because I just didn't even think about it like in book two I'll definitely put a trigger warning about infertility you know it's something that I have you know suffered myself but I just hadn't I didn't even think about it but maybe I should have no I, no. Th- I think <laughs> I, I definitely think that 
but for me it's a great a great device kind of for writing but also it's just real it's just natural as a thing that happens and does not define a person and I think that yes it may mean that people have strong reactions to it but if you've read the book I don't know how you could feel angry about her and her decision well this lady was very angry (laughs) (laughs) give me a name I'll go and have a chat (laughs) good reads you can go read I felt I actually wanted to hug her I was like okay I feel like I need to hug you but you know anyway yeah I actually weirdly felt more empathy towards Stella for the fact that she'd done that because for me I was like she really wants to move past it she really wants to you know she's she's aware of it was wrong but she's trying to like better herself and move on with her life and I felt a lot more empathy towards her because of that so I think to have that sort of immediate reaction of like no she's cheater she's terrible like No, I really didn't get that from it at all. No. Maybe that means we're all terrible people, but <laughs> I don't think that's what it means. I don't <laughs> but also, your characters are so brilliantly written, and another very memorable character is Connor Knight, and I think he's incredibly memorable for a number of reasons. <laughs> I'm sorry. I any spoilers about but I love that when we're first introduced to him I am terrible and cannot remember who describes him as this but he's described as a sort of like Tony Robbins style person and I would love to know what was the original inspiration for Connor Knight do you know a man like him (laughs) well there's a there's a couple actually um (laughs) he's he's probably a lot of people rolls into one I mean in the photography industry we do have our rock star photographers maybe not as much now but definitely you know a few years ago there was there was that and he is loosely very loosely inspired by my friend Jerry Guionis who is one of the best wedding photographers in the world we look up his his stuff and his last name is spelled G-H-I-O-N-I-S and he's amazing but Connor is not Jerry <laughs> anyway shape or form but I think that that dynamic think that subconsciously I was recreating that dirty dancing dynamic you know that yeah you've got Johnny comes on the stage and he's like oh my god look at those hips <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, baby's like, oh, so it's, um, I think that without meaning to, I think that I sort of created that same dynamic. And I have to say, there are scenes where me and Hannah were messaging each other like, have you got here yet? Have you read this bit yet? <laughs> Tell me you have. <laughs> we, we're being mean to the listeners now because they'll they'll want to know. But it's a good thing because they will yeah. now go buy, buy your book. book. <laughs> yes, go buy the book. Definitely. You'll know what we're talking about. <laughs> and then tell us about it yeah <laughs> so I feel like Stella and Connor they are they're a very dynamic duo for me what worked really well in the whole of the book was they they have a lot of sexual tension and they have lots of emotional tension with each other and it's so compelling what was it like for you to like build and create that tension because it must be like a tightrope that you've got to walk sort of not too much you know and, and you've got to kind of withhold a bit but then you've got to give us enough that we want to keep on reading yeah well, it's, you know, you do draft after draft after draft. I think that probably in every draft, I added a little bit more. And um, you think you're there, you think you're there, and then you give it to one of your, you know, writing buddies to read. And they're like, oh, I think you could just turn this up a little bit. Or maybe we need a scene like that. And, and so you add that in. And then it's like, oh, yeah, now I'm 
definitely there. You know? So um, yeah, I think that it's it happens in layers, definitely. I think that the pace of it was really great. I mean, when we talk about a page turner, I literally was like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I could not stop. I was like, please, I need to know what happened. Yes. Um, and I just wanted, you tell it that excited, can't you? Because I'm just like shouting at you. Yeah, <laughs> Shut away, shut away. But I did, uh, and it's one thing that me and Hannah talked about, but there was a bit where they are, she stood and Connor is, is photographing her and he's placing her hands in different places to, to show passion and to show sadness. And honestly, guys, go just read the book for that scene. <laughs> I don't know how you did it, but it's so, so brilliant. It's amazing. Well, it's, it's true. So hands are really important in photography and you can tell a good photographer by how much time they put into making sure the hands are right. And you know, you'll do it now. You'll look at photographs and you'll be like, oh God, the hands just look clumpy. You know, like you never want the back of the hand to be towards the camera because it just looks big, you know, and bleh, you, you need to give it shape and, and whatnot. It makes it much more interesting. So, so yeah, I mean, that that's my assignment to you. <laughs> go, and, go and look through, like if you're looking at, you know, photographers' websites or, or whatnot, look at the hands, look at the, how they pose the hands because that is a, a level of attention to detail that comes with experience and uh, and vision. I don't need to look it up because I have first-hand experience of hands affecting a shoot. <laughs> Because me me and Lydia are actors, as we said on the podcast before. I'm sorry that we go on about it, listeners. But I was once hired for, you know, the company Jules. I think that's how you say it. J-O-U-L-E-S. Yes. They were doing a picnic wear. And I was hired to, uh, for some, I'm not a model, so I don't know why I was hired. I'm just an actor. <laughs> but I was asked to do it and I was like, yeah, I'll take that. And uh, went to the shoot and they had me put on this like white t-shirt and jeans. It was supposed to look very wholesome. Uh, had all this like picnic wear laid out and they wanted to take a few photos of my hands around the picnic wear. Now, a funny thing about me is that my thumbs look like toes. Not toe thumbs, <laughs> honestly, they're awful. <laughs> so they take some of these photos and they send it back to the client and they're having this back and forth and I'm pausing in the corner and then they go um so the clients come back to us and they're actually wanting to go with something a bit more abstract now so we don't actually need you for the rest of the day I had traveled about three hours for this shoot <laughs> I was just sent on my merry way oh after 15 my minutes God. and I know it is because my <laughs> Well, you so, know, they should have just fixed it in posts. You know, it's amazing what you can do in Photoshop. They could have just elongated <laughs> that thumb, you know. Yeah, I think the client must have just seen my thumbs and just put them off the whole yeah. thing. They would like, oh, get, get around, get her gone. <laughs> drunk, yeah. I, hope, I hope they paid you for the full day. <laughs> I was paid. I was paid, yeah. thankfully. thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> now, a phrase that I really want to talk about that is repeated in the book, like a sort of mantra, is tits and teeth. I love love this so much and it's sort of a, a mantra for Stella but I need to know what does this phrase mean to you? <laughs> well I am a musical baby you know <laughs> so I have grown up you know watching musicals like I'm still angry at my parents for not taking me to see Evita with Paddy Lapone in it when I was like six years old so 
that just ages me but anyway <laughs> no <laughs> like i'm a real musical baby and that's very chorus line the whole tits and teeth yeah so yeah it's uh it comes from my love of musical theater i love that do you have a favorite musical is it avita <laughs> you know what avita i do love avita um yeah no, that's a good one my favorite music i love hamilton hamilton's great oh, yes yeah. Yeah. so <laughs> good actually just as an aside my son's school this morning had an assembly and the teacher had rewritten the words to alexander hamilton for uh mary seacol Se- is it seacol i think it is who was like a, a doctor a female doctor uh in the past and it was really good and all the kids were there singing hamilton with these new lines <laughs> i love oh, so no. i was really impressed it's not an easy you know no no so yeah the cadence anyway i was very impressed by that but yeah i love hamilton but my favorite movie of all times is a musical movie but i don't like the musical on stage but the movie is the sound of music oh, oh. yeah you don't, you, don't, you don't like the i don't like, don't the like stage, stage all, right but i love the movie like with the passion so okay you're gonna think i'm weird <laughs> but both of my kids so when when i was giving birth to both of my kids i insisted that sound of music soundtrack was playing looped on repeat oh, and wow. each of them was born to a different song from sound of music so, oh, love that. it's a shame it's a shame it was the lonely goat herd but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it, so wasn't, it wasn't thankful <laughs> i gave birth to my daughter and live at the apollo was on the telly oh, yeah well, at least you laughed your way through it, right? it was, uh, <laughs> i'm hoping it's just going to be funny because of it <laughs> i'm sure that's how it works yeah. pretty, sure, pretty sure yeah but before we let you go i have to ask you you've mentioned it a couple of times so far <laughs> but we know that there is going to be a second novel in the works can you please spell the tea? Oh, <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, so it's funny enough, the title has recently changed this morning. Uh, so you're hearing this first. But yeah, yeah. So you, it used to be called F-stop, but my, my friend is literary agent pointed out that nobody knows what the hell an F-stop is. <laughs> That's photographers. Yeah, only photographers. So it is now called Chasing the Light. And it, it follows Krish's story. So Krish Kapadia, who is Connor's assistant, the, the boss. Hollywood looks, you know. Yeah, so he is going to be my main male protagonist in the next book. And there'll be a new character named Francesca, who's a videographer. And uh, and yes, it's a second chances story. Amazing. Oh, I'm so excited for that. And are Stella and Connor going to be featuring at all? Are we going to see them again? Yes, Stella actually has a POV. So there's three POVs in it. We'll see. Because it, it, the music's my ears. Well, the first one was only Stella's uh, point of view, uh, which I think is why people are calling it Bridget Jones for photographers yeah <laughs> one point of view but uh but yeah no three in the second one amazing I am so excited yeah. <laughs> also I can definitely see Bridget Jones for the photographers with the scene when she falls back backwards on the on the, <laughs> the grass on the field which yeah, yeah. Photo, I'm like that is such a Bridget Jones moment I love yeah. that <laughs> and that's the kind of thing that has happened to me you know like like I said you know you fall you sprain an ankle you whatever you do you're like I'm, I'm okay <laughs> 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 
and teeth, tits and teeth. Oh, <laughs> if it wasn't already obvious, listeners, we really, really love this book. And we will, of course, be popping a link to buy the book in our show notes. Please do go and buy it. And please do leave lots of reviews because self-publishing is not the easiest path. But you are clearly smashing it. Just had a look when you when you had to scurry away before. I had a quick look at your Instagram and you're doing so many amazing things with the book. And it's just so exciting and I can't wait to see your second book. Before we let you go, you are also the co-host of the podcast Two Lit Chicks, which is an amazing podcast. I really loved the Bonnie Garmus episode. It was so interesting. So I'm also going to link that in the show notes. But you obviously interview writers about the books that have changed their lives. So we've decided to turn the question to you. <laughs> so Julia, what books have changed your life? Oh goodness. Well, I think one that literally changed my life was Anne Rand's Atlas Shrugged because I was going through an Anne Rand phase, as you do, and I met a boy at a bar in New York and he was also going through an Anne Rand phase and we <laughs> we talked about this. I mean, this is really showing how geeky I am. But yeah, we talked about this and we kind of like were like interested in each other. But he was going off to travel around America for six months with his friends. He was South African. And, you know, I didn't know if it was going to go anywhere. And then I have an Italian passport. So, you know, he said, well, I can't come back to America after after this trip, but I can work in London. So I said, okay, I'll move to London. So... <laughs> And Rand made me move to London. So that's that's uh, was pretty important. And yeah, I mean, how many books do you want? <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll take we'll take as many Let's. as less, yes, please. <laughs> I'll send it to you. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's funny when a book literally makes you change the, the path of your life. And that was that was one of them. I'm not in my Anne Rand phase anymore though. Oh. <laughs> that ended. <laughs> and as this is our debut series, do you have any other debut authors that you would like to recommend today? I would, actually. Uh, there's a wonderful debut author named Jo Lyon, Lyons, sorry, and she wrote a hysterical rom-com called Betadorm, actually. And it was, uh, she was one of the finalists in, not the one that's going now, but the one before, Comedy Women in Print. And so I highly recommend her. She is one of the funniest people I know. And, uh, you know, she deserves for her book to be a success as well. Also self-published. So Amazing. So, yeah, I would recommend Jo. Well, Lydia, that is one for you, considering yeah. you are tough not to crack. And Julian has cracked you. I've got a crack. I'll read nothing but romance from now on. <laughs> what do, what do you like on the What's your... What's... Usually, like, contemporary fiction on, and, like, horror. Oh, okay. You'd like Ed. Ed likes a lot of horror. By my co-host. He, like, he loves horror <laughs> yeah yeah um, well, you, so, you recommended one earlier that i thought i thought straight away that lydia would like you said at the start of the podcast oh, yeah the, like the first uh, you said there was a really scary scene oh the graveyard book yes i've not read that i've no. not it's oh my god it's a great book and the first scene i mean you let me know if that doesn't scare you you know what this <laughs> um then yeah but it, it's actually a children's book as well i mean not like not like children children like say uh, yeah. i don't know yeah but it's not it's it's not an adult book but that I find the first scene in that book like just spine tingly. Though, wow. yeah. But give it a Defo one for Lydia. <laughs> but yeah, if, if you haven't read another book, it's not horror, but have you read The the Invisible Life of Addie LaRue? No, but no, it's on my shelf. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> next read, next read. That, yeah. that's, that's one of my favorite, a recent read, but that's that's 
definitely like top there in my in my top ten. So wow. Okay, yes, I'll. That's just bumped it right up my studio. <laughs> <laughs> Julia, is there anywhere that our listeners can find you on social media? Where can't you find me? Is the question. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. No, I'm everywhere. Uh, just search at Julia Burjo, and I'm uh, on Instagram and Twitter, and then on Facebook, I'm Julia Burjo author, and on TikTok, I'm Julia Burjo writer. Just to you know, keep it. <laughs> Spicy. <laughs> Spicy. <Yeah. laughs> then I have a website as well. So you can, and I write a lot about my marketing and, and stuff like that that I've been doing for the book. So amazing. You have a newsletter as well, don't you? I do. How many newsletters do I have? Like <laughs> one for Julia Bojo, one for Two Lit Chicks. So yeah, for, you can find me everywhere. I'm just like amazing. <laughs> we will link. Yes, we love it. I will link all of those in the show notes. But Julia, it's been so lovely to have you join us today. So thank you so much. Thank this you very much amazing. for having me. I really interesting. And listeners, please do go give Julia a follow. Please do go buy Shooters. It's an incredible book and it's out now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe as it helps to boost us in the charts. And you can also give us a follow at a pair of bookends pod on Instagram or at a pair of bookends on Twitter and TikTok. And that is all from us today. So thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Bye.